DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you for joining us again. It's wonderful to be with you. We're coming into the really the last three days of the retreat with Blessed Elizabeth, and um, and it has been such a beautiful and powerful journey so far. I'm really, really grateful for this time we have together. She has expressed to us over and over and over again the place of the word in her heart and i'm and i'm speaking yes the word of jesus christ but also the sacred scriptures they are such a part of who she has become the sacredness of the word i mean and how she just brings it back over and over again even at this time when she's compiling this in her in the throes of her illness it's so compelling it's very beautiful. In fact, this next reflection begins. It's it's almost all uh, quotes from St. Paul. So very rich, in fact. She is going to quote in this paragraph I'm about to read. She's going to be quoting from Philippians and Ephesians in a powerful way. It seems to me that all is lost since I have known the excelling knowledge of my Lord, Jesus Christ. For love of him, I have forfeited everything. I have accounted all else rubbish that I may gain Christ, so as to be found in him, not with my own justice, but with the justice that comes from God through faith. What I want is to know him, to share in his sufferings, to become like him in his death. I pursue my course, striving to attain to what Christ has destined me for by taking hold of me. My whole concern is to forget what is behind and to strain forward constantly to what is ahead. I run straight to the goal to the prize of the heavenly vocation to which God has called me in Christ Jesus. The apostle has often revealed the greatness of this vocation. God, he says, has chosen us in him before the creation of the world that we might be holy and immaculate in his presence in love. We have been predestined by the decree of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we may be the praise of his glory. 
So this, as you were saying, her command of scripture is exquisite. It's beautiful. She doesn't have a Bible. These are all passages that she's memorized. The only access to the scriptures she has is a is a little book of atomized scripture verses. Somehow, though, she penetrates them and understands them in the context of the wisdom of St. Paul in a way that actually elucidates some of the beautiful things that he transmits in the scriptures to us. In these passages, we have put together passage from uh, Philippians and a passage from Ephesians that you might not put together uh, just on your own. You put them together, I guess, as you pray through them. And this is what Elizabeth has done. Elizabeth is fascinated with St. Paul's words because she's totally identifying with them. When St. Paul says, I've accounted all else rubbish that I may gain Christ, this is exactly what Elizabeth is, is living for as, as she's enduring what she's enduring. For her, all of her achievements and everything else she's tried to do, none of that matters because Jesus is so much more. And her heart finds its strength, its, its nourishment, it exhilarates, it's captivated by him. And so this is, as she approaches death, this is what's captivating and taking over her existence more and more. I want to know him, to share his sufferings, to become like him in his death. Everything is about Jesus all the time. This is the course that St. Paul pursues, but this is the course that Elizabeth is pursuing as well. Why does she pursue it? Why did St. Paul pursue it? St. Paul said, Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He's captivated me. He's grabbed my existence. Here I want to pause because we get to a very important truth in contemplative prayer in our Christian life that I have mentioned in previous reflections, but I think is timely right here and right now. And that is, oftentimes people, when they approach their devotion to the Lord and their relationship with God and their practice of prayer, they're very concerned sometimes with techniques, and sometimes they're very concerned with, oh, different kinds of psychic states they might be able to acquire through the exercise of this or that technique. Uh, if they don't acquire the psychic state they desired, they feel like they failed in prayer or their prayer isn't working out. and So they anxiously go talk to someone to see how they can improve the technique. Behind all of that, if that's something that you find yourself doing, behind all of that is a kind of an addiction to experience. As 20th century, 21st century Christians, we are very addicted to psychological experience. We think that religion is no good if we haven't had our psychological experience, and we think it's uh, we've really accomplished something when we do have a psychological experience. At the end of the day, it's very important to know God is not going to judge us on the psychological experiences and enlightenment and psychic states that we have acquired or not acquired. He's not going to judge us on our ability to master techniques and methods in prayer. He's going to judge us on our love. And we draw our love 
our love is made perfect by our union with Christ Jesus. Contemplative prayer in the Catholic tradition is about keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord, who is someone quite outside myself, who is someone who calls me to himself, and someone so beautiful and so wondrous, so powerful, that when my heart lifts itself to his presence, when my heart attends and seeks him, it discovers that it has already been grasped by him. He is the one who's at work in our prayer, bringing something beautiful. And then only insofar as our prayer has the quality of a real relationship, a true encounter with him, an encounter that, that demands a pledge of love from the depths of our being to him, an encounter that allows us to receive and humbly accept the pledge of love that he's offered us. Until we've done that, we haven't really entered into the depths of prayer that's animating Elizabeth of the Trinity or St. Paul. When St. Paul says, I run straight to the goal, he is talking about Christ Jesus. The goal isn't some sort of heavenly bliss where every everything's comfortable and, and wonderful and you have all the things that you knew you deserved and you didn't get in this life and now you feel good about yourself. The heavenly bliss that St. Paul has in mind and that has consumed Elizabeth is Jesus Christ himself, to know him, to be plunged into existence, his existence, to let everything be defined by who he is because he is that beautiful. He is that radiant. He's that wonderful. His love, his love is better than anything this world can hold. And it's because of that that Elizabeth won't let anything in this world hold her back anymore. She forgets it all, just like St. Paul. She presses to what lies ahead. Who is Jesus? Jesus lies in front of her, and she wants to claim her prize. This is a great vocation. This is the heavenly vocation, which uh, we are called to in Jesus Christ. St. Paul again magnifies this great vocation. God has chosen us in him before the creation of the world that we might be holy and immaculate in his presence and love. What allows us to see Jesus for who he really is? What allows us to receive his love and not have anything be an obstacle to this work of love that unfolds in our hearts. What allows it so that his love in us, we can experience it and never grow tired and share it, never have it decrease, but increase more and more the more we share it. What is it? Well, it's what allows us to receive God's love in that way is the purification that his love effects in us. The more we receive the love of God, the more everything else is purified out of us. Everything and anything that might be an obstacle is removed by the fire of God's love burning within us. It's painful. It's difficult. But anyone who's tasted that purification and anyone who's been submerged, anyone who's felt its warmth, or seeing its light, such a soul 
aches that that purification might be complete. The more we receive the gift, the purer we want to become because we want to receive the gift more and more. We have been predestined by decree of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Sometimes when we look at our lives, we see the brokenness and the inadequacy and the voids and the failures. And when we see the, all of that, we get discouraged and we think that there's no way that we're going to make it. And when that happens, that's a horrible temptation to slip into. To see and define ourselves only in terms of our failure blocks God from being able to accomplish and complete the work that he wants to do. I recommend that when you see all of those problems, you just humbly submit them to the Lord and let go of them and turn your attention back to the Lord. Lord, what is your will for me? And when you start thinking about the Lord's will for you and the wonderful work that he is able to do, all of a sudden, the possibility that you too can become the praise of his glory it begins to emerge in your heart in a whole new way. Elizabeth, to help us have that kind of confidence and have that kind of hope, she roots this work that God is doing in us, this work by which God is going to bring to completion in the face of all our failures, in the face of all our trials and our voids and our inadequacy, in the face of it all. God is going to bring this to completion because what God is bringing to completion is not subject to the present moment, is not subject to the present circumstances. God is bringing something to completion before any of those circumstances and uh, any of the present situation uh, ever came to be. He's bringing to completion something that started above all those things and will raise us above all those things. And this is the mystery of predestination. Elizabeth roots her confidence in the purification that God is bringing about in her soul so that she can grasp Jesus more completely. She roots her confidence that God will bring this work to completion in her in the fact that God has predestined this work to be completed from before the foundation of the world, before, if we can speak that way, before time began. God knew what he wanted to do, and he's doing it now. And because God is more powerful, because the work he has begun is above what is going on now, precedes what's going on now, and will continue long after whatever is going on now has passed and come to an end, we can have every confidence that this work will be brought to completion. Do you see the decision of faith that she is inviting us into, we can always live as if this moment is the most desperate and the worst thing that has ever happened. And when we do, we're vulnerable to despair. But when we live this moment confident in the work that God began before we were born, confident in the work that will, be, will continue long after we've died in faith, then this moment doesn't have the weight, the crushing weight that it might otherwise have for my soul. This moment 
finds its proper context in the larger part of God's plan. God's counsel, his plan, is bigger than the circumstances of this moment. He's taken these circumstances into consideration already, and he's decided that these circumstances don't get to define what's going on. His love does, and the work of his love in us does. All we have to do is be confident and hope and believe in what God is doing, and he will take us past this moment that we find ourselves right here and right now. That's such a struggle for so many, Anthony, because for many who have been born into this world, they were born into situations of where that love, that trust, was not communicated. For many, they wonder, why am I even here? Did anybody truly ever really want me? It's a ache isn't it deep within the, the human heart that is even exacerbated more by what the culture has destroyed in just basic loveliness? You're right. Today, the sense we have of our own dignity has been robbed to us all in very many ways. And there are certain people who have lost a greater sight of that than others. And every city, every town has a hidden population that goes largely unseen and unrecognized of people who have completely lost hope and despaired and completely surrendered their dignity and hardly remember who they are anymore. But for all of us, living out of this dignity is difficult. What those who've lost all their dignity need what those who've lost any sense of God's love most need from us is the witness uh, that God's love is in the world. And that witness of God's love and the dignity that his love establishes in us is possible to offer the world if we will respond to the dignity of this vocation that is offered us. Elizabeth says, But how do we respond to the dignity of this vocation? This is the secret. Mihi viveri Christus est, vivo enim, yam non ego, vivit vero in me Christus. Christ is my life. I live, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. We must be transformed into Jesus Christ. Again, it is St. Paul who teaches me this. Those whom God has foreknown, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. It is important then that I study this divine model so as to identify myself so closely with him that I may unceasingly reveal him to the eyes of the Father. First of all, what did he say when he came into the world? Here I am, O God, I come to do your will. I think that this prayer should be like the bride's heartbeat. Here we are, O Father, we come to do your will.
couple things about this passage. She's quoting in the beginning the words of St. Paul, Mihi vivere Christus es, for me to live is Christ, and I live no longer my own life, but the life of Christ in me. These powerful words spoken by St. Paul are very important in the spirituality of Elizabeth of the Trinity. They come from first Philippians 1.21 and Galatians 2.20. So she's drawing this language right out of the sacred scriptures. She's memorized it, but it's also what she's experiencing. She's experiencing the life of Christ in her, and she lives no longer her own life. Every breath she takes, each moment that she struggles on with her existence, it's not her own life anymore. It's Christ living in her, Christ renewing his mystery in her. This complete surrender to his life in me, she says, this is the way we respond to what Christ is doing. She proposes, you, you want to be aware of the grace of Christ in you? Study who he is and you can recognize it. Uh, on this point, before we look at what it means to study Christ, I want to talk about this awareness of the grace of Christ in us, that his power is at work in us, and being confident in that power. Being more confident in that power at work in us than we're confident in our own weaknesses. This was a beautiful secret that Faustina Kowalska discovered in her own prayer. Her mystical experiences as they happened in the 1930s, she dies just before the German and Russian invasions. It's going to be the end of the world for so many people, and they will be all tempted to despair. And St. Faustina knows that this great disaster is hanging over people's lives, and that it's an incredible moment of judgment. And she doesn't know how to intercede in the face of it. She doesn't know what to ask God for. And she tries to call out to the mercy of God, but she's aware of the angel of uh, justice, and she's aware of how sinful people are. And in the awareness of that sinfulness, she just doesn't know how to cry out. But then she says, St. Faustina Kowalska says, that she turned her attention to the awareness of grace in her. And when she became aware of the work of grace in her, her prayer rose above all angelic powers and she found the courage and the strength she needed to call out to the Lord to have mercy on his people. And she discovered the gift of intercessory prayer. Well, Elizabeth is talking about, when she talks about discovering the dignity of our vocation, this vocation to, to become the praise of God's glory, this vocation to be to enter into the mystery of Christ so deeply that when people see us, they see us Christ Jesus. When Elizabeth is talking about this, she is saying that this work is accomplished, his life in us is accomplished to the degree that we are mindful, that we turn our attention to the fact that he is working in us even when we can't see it. It is important then that I study this divine model so as to identify myself so closely with him that I may unceasingly reveal him to the eyes of the Father. That's the secret of intercessory prayer. It's letting, as we pray for people and as we pray for mercy in our lives and the lives of those we love, we allow the Father to see his Son in us. What is the secret to pray like that, to pray in a way that allows the Father to recognize his Son in us? 
Elizabeth says, study Christ. Turn your attention to him and look to see what he has revealed. First of all, what did he say when he came into the world? Here I am, O God, I come to do your will. A fascinating thing about Elizabeth of the Trinity, and we've seen this with other things, other passages in her writings, Elizabeth is fascinated with the prayer of Christ. She recognizes Christ by what he prayed. In the 13th day, her when she looked to Christ, she remembered Christ praying, Father, I thank you. Here she remembers, Father, I've come to do your will. The surrender, this readiness, the sense of mission that Jesus has captivates her. And she believes that it's the secret. When you look at the model who is Jesus and you look at the way he prayed and you see his sense of mission, you, like Elizabeth of the Trinity, realize that this needs to be the heartbeat of our lives. Uh, we need to be zealous that others might see the face of the Father as Jesus was zealous for that. That needs to be what animates everything we do. When we study this and we see it, we learn to desire it in our hearts. And as we desire it in our hearts, as we desire this passion for the Father, we can recognize the movement of grace in our lives. We can recognize what the Lord's priority is in our hearts and not be so crushed down by the things that seem so defeating. So to come back, Chris, then to your original observation, it is true that people don't have the sense of dignity that we need to have for the Christian life. And it is true that we often get caught up in considering things that are other than God, that we lose sight of Christ Jesus and we lose sight of the love. The first step to getting back to that is to look to Christ, to look into his prayer. And as you look into his prayer and you see his passion for the Father and you let that wash over you and grab hold of your heart, all of a sudden you recognize the work of Christ in you, his grace. And if you think about that grace long enough, you begin to realize that that grace, that power of love inside you, that love of Jesus unfolding in you, is stronger even than your own sin. We'll continue our conversation on Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity's Last Retreat, Day 14, in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.